Welcome to the Pioneers in Europe podcast, where we explore the opportunities, challenges, and events that are shaping church planning across Europe. In today's episode, we'll talk to one of Pioneer's leaders and veterans of missions about his calling to Europe and how the COVID-19 epidemic and the influx of migrants into Europe has created one of the best evangelistic opportunities the church has ever seen. Today we're joined by Steve, who is a leader that oversees ministries in Africa and Europe. Uh, Steve, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, good to be with you, Mark. Well, thanks. One of the things, knowing your story, but also anyone that comes to serve the Lord on the mission field, I'd love to just hear uh, the journey that God's brought you individually and then your your wife and together and your family and, and how you ended up kind of doing life and ministry in Europe of all places. Yeah, I'll give you the, the brief version. So I went to church as a youngster kind of growing up in the church and didn't make a a real decision to follow Christ until I was 21 years old. And shortly after that, I was mentored by a guy from Campus Crusade who said, basically, once you become a Christian, you need to become a missionary. And that's all I knew. So I went for it. I was studying chemical engineering at the University of California at the time. And Within weeks of graduating, I found myself in Haiti in the Caribbean, working for a nonprofit organization, building literacy centers in the slums of Port-au-Prince. From there, three years later, found myself with um, Youth with a Mission. We were in Europe. I had done a training school with them and then joined the Mercy Ship Anastasis where we were in outreach to West Africa. That's where I met my wife, Sarah. We got married in 97, went to Wheaton College and got some graduate school training. I got a graduate degree in theology and missions and then joined Pioneers because we felt directly called to plant a church among the Wolof of Senegal. Uh, went to France, learned French, and then made our way to Senegal. We had a team. We built a team of about 11 people at one point. And um, many of those, uh, or many of us, didn't make it. Senegal was a very hard place. And it was probably four years into our time in Senegal. Our second daughter was born with a pretty severe blood disorder and required regular transfusions. And just leaned into that and trusted God for what was going to happen next. As hard as it was, um, we thought our time in missions was over because we had a daughter that needed constant health care and moved back to our home office in Orlando. And from there, um, helped with the college mobilization. And one day we were talking with our doctor and she said, you know, they can treat this disease over in Europe. And at the time, we really didn't have Europe on our horizon as an unreached uh, part of the world. And we were committed to working with the unreached and the people with the least opportunity to hear. Um, but that little conversation with our doctor, um, the Lord used to bring us to Europe. We ended up spending uh, 14 years in France, uh, overseeing at first teams in Western Europe, and then moving to oversee teams in all of Europe and 
Um, now we're overseeing teams in Europe and Africa, and um, as of last week, actually. So that's a little bit of our journey. It's kind of unique. Now we live in Germany. Uh, our youngest daughter still receives blood transfusions, and um, it's been a real uh, testimony to us that, uh, you know, God just because you have a health challenge doesn't mean that you can't serve him overseas. So that'd be my encouragement to people. It is my encouragement to people. And we've seen God use our weaknesses in many ways for his glory. Yeah. You, you mentioned just God's providence in a simple conversation with a a doctor and how that led you to uh, not only go to Europe, but really to see the, the massive spiritual needs and bankruptcy of Europe. And, and um, tell us a little bit about uh, not only, I mean, you, you already told us how you got there, but now having been in, in Europe for, for how long? And then what are, what are some of the trends and the needs and opportunities that you've seen both uh, as someone who's been down in the weeds in, in France and then now someone who over has, has overseen kind of the whole continent? What, what are, some of the spiritual trends and needs and opportunities and challenges that you've seen? Well, I think like so many Americans, we had equated spiritual need with social need and therefore uh, looked at Europe as a place that was, in this, for all intents and purposes, reached for the gospel. And I even had a conversation with a seasoned missionary and he told me, he said, you know, what do they need Jesus for? They have money. And I thought, wow, that that's about as stark of a revelation of a bad theology of ministry as I've ever heard. And um, after living here for 14 years, we actually became French, uh, took on our French nationality five years ago, which has allowed us to stay in Europe. Um, But just walking alongside some of our French neighbors and our French friends, You see just a deep resistance to the gospel, mostly because most people would say it was the church and Christianity that that um, that led Europe to become kind of a backwards continent. And it's kind of twisted thinking. But uh, a lot of Europeans who are now secular look at Christianity that way, sort of as backwards. And um, so a lot of. A lot of witnessing to Europeans is kind of unwinding that negative perception of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And um, that has been, that's given us a lot of opportunities. There's a real need for apologetics here, which, you know, we didn't have when we were, you know, basically um, in, in, in Africa, we could, we could share Christ through, uh, community development, through sanitation, through hospitals, through uh, clinics, by demonstrating the love of Jesus to the poor. Here, they don't need any of that. What they need here is, um, the set of needs here is totally different. There is uh, an an illness here called loneliness that um, I think most individualistic countries tend to deal with. And that has been an inroad and a bridge into the gospel for many of our secular friends. But apart from that, it's, um, you know, they don't really sense a need for the gospel. So at times like this, with this um, virus that's now um, 
spreading throughout Europe and uh, Europe has become the epicenter. Uh, there's a need now more than ever, I think, for, um, for the church to demonstrate the hope that we have in Christ and our faith in Christ um, that's bigger than death. And uh, fear, is a, fear is a reality here. There's a lot of um, people who just live in fear because of this, um, this virus. I just heard on the news today that, um, to- that um, uh, Boris Johnson just uh, came down with, uh, has been transferred into intensive care. And, right. you know, that, that's a real shocker for a lot of people because they think if one of our presidents could, or prime ministers could come down with this, we're all vulnerable and we could all end up there. So um, this, there's a lot of opportunities. Uh, the, the secular view where that's so man-centric is unwinding in a lot of people's minds and spirits. And I think that's a real opportunity for us as the church to run into that and demonstrate and give a reason, as Peter says, give a reason for the hope that we have in Christ. Yeah, that's so good. I, I think of... Europe, really, over the last five years, some some pretty significant things have happened. Uh, of course, right now, as you mentioned, uh, COVID and being the epicenter, and people don't realize because the numbers get reported by uh, country just how devastating it is. Because all so like I was looking the other day, like seven of the top eight or nine countries in the world with COVID uh, is in Europe. Um, but that, as you mentioned, is exposing vulnerability, exposing, uh, our, our life isn't, isn't going to go on forever, but there's, there was another thing that that's happened in the last five years. And that's just been, uh, this war in the middle East and, and other things that have brought in, uh, refugees and immigrants. And, and that's one ex- exposing more fear in Europeans, but tell us what, what God is doing amongst, uh, you know, people that are coming from different religious backgrounds into Europe and how is the church position for that? Yeah, the church is small, um, obviously, in Europe. Um, the Bible-believing church, I would say, is, is small and was overwhelmed in many aspects by the influx of refugees in 2015. So there's a huge need for, for more workers. And, you know, it made the news as as refugees were streaming through people's backyards and through villages and towns, thousands and thousands and thousands, the cameras were out and um, a lot of the reporting that was going on brought a lot of attention to it. And we always knew eventually the cameras would go away Um, and they did, but there is still a huge influx of refugees fleeing Syria, Iran, Iraq, uh, Afghanistan, and making their way to Turkey, then across the um, the sea into Greece. Uh, there's a camp down in, in the island of Lesbos right now where um, it was built for 3,000 people. It's currently inhabited by 20,000 people. And you blend that kind of mess of, 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 um, uh, of need with this COVID uh, coronavirus, and we, we have spent a lot of time praying for God's mercy to protect camps like that. Um, but you're seeing a lot of, of spiritual openness among the refugees who are coming. Obviously, they're fleeing not only war, but they're fleeing oppression. They're fleeing 
um, people who have used their religion to oppress them. And so they're open and they get to Greece. And who do they meet? Most of the workers in Greece who are reaching out in love and caring for these refugees are believers, many of them with pioneers, um, reaching out and providing blankets and food and medical assistance in camps. Um, and, and so they're seeing the dichotomy of their worldview just just come to light. They're seeing Islam that they're running from and the people that are embracing them are not Muslims, are not secularists, but Bible-believing Christians who love Jesus. And it's an incredible opportunity for the gospel. Yes, for sure. It definitely reminds me of Jesus's uh, words that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly uh, that the Lord would send out workers into his harvest field. And um, we, I mean, we could use 10,000 more workers, right? <laughs> so oh, what, what would you say to someone even considering that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, a, a couple things. Uh, first, the verse you mentioned, you know, those two words, pray. Um, Jesus said, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out workers into the harvest. That word pray is basically beg, beg God to send. And that word send is actually thrust out kind of haphazardly, just thrust them out. Um, So we need to be begging God to send out people, just get them out there, get them out there so they can, as Romans says, um, you know, people come to faith when they've heard the gospel. People hear the gospel because people have been sent to preach the gospel. So there's that human element of missions that um, that that is just so fundamental to our movement. You know, we pray for Muslims to have dreams and visions of Christ, and they do. Many of them do. But I have yet to meet a Muslim who was not led to Christ through a person. Um, they might have seen Jesus in a dream. They might have experienced, they might have even had revelation directly from the Holy Spirit about Scripture. But somewhere in that journey is a person who was sent to preach the gospel, to proclaim the gospel to that person and lead them to faith in Christ. So um, the need for workers has never been more apparent. And uh, especially now, as this coronavirus spreads throughout Europe, I think the church in general is sensing a a knee-jerk reaction to kind of look inward and protect ourselves. We need to do the exact opposite at this time because people are hungry for the gospel. Um, We need to be taking this opportunity to double down and send more, support more more ministries. Don't let the ministries, the missionaries, be the first one cut from your budget just because giving is down. Now, I'm not saying that because I live on support like most of our people here. Um, We've learned to live without, but I'm saying that because it's a time when the church needs to be sending and engaging in world missions more than ever. And to, to just hunker down and hoard, this sounds like a stupid example, but hoard toilet paper because it's been in the news is just not what the church was called to at this time. If you look back at the Spanish influenza of 1918, you see the church running right into it, caring for the sick, risking their lives 
to care for the sick. And again, it's it's that demonstration of faith that is going to speak to the Europeans. It's going to speak to the Muslim immigrants here. It's going to speak to our workers in Africa, to the people of Africa. Um, it's not Christians kind of hunkering down, preparing for the whatever might happen. It's Christians running out, forsaking everything because they want to see the gospel go forward. Amen. Yeah, it, it certainly, again, reminds me of Jesus's words to his followers that um, anyone who l- loses his life will, will find it. And uh, the yeah. call to missions in many ways is a call to lay down your life, isn't it? Amen. It certainly is. Tell, tell us about like the person that's maybe just, I mean, you've kind of spoke to that a little bit, but maybe just like, man, I don't know, that's kind of scary, or uh, I don't know about... I don't know about Europe. I think I should go somewhere if I'm going to be a real missionary. Uh, what would you say to that person that just is kind of wrestling between uh, where to go right now? Well, two things. First, uh, the person who's maybe fearful to go out. And I would say to that person, there is such joy on the other side of that mountain of fear. Um, mm. And I say that from experience. Um, and then... To the, to the person who's looking at whether where the greatest need is, uh, I would say look at the place where the church is in the biggest need. And, um, you, you know, there are places in France, for example, where, you know, you have to drive 45 minutes to an hour just to get to a small church. Um, and that I'm not talking a you know, one church of 20 where I love the worship and therefore I drive or I love that pastor. So I drive that far and I drive past several other churches to get there. I'm talking about driving past no churches for one hour until I get to the little small church, the closest one to my house. Um, And that's just an example. You know, if the churches are that far, what kind of influence is the church having on on small communities? and on small villages, basically none. So right. that's those are the places where we need to be investing in sending workers. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's so good. So lastly, before we, we wrap up, you, I mean, obviously you've given us a lot to think about and even pray about it, but is there anything specifically you would ask for prayer for either yourselves or the workers across Europe uh, just to keep, our, keep us informed? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I alluded to it a little bit earlier, but in um, in 1 Peter, you know, he's uh, Peter writes, um, be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have inside of you. And I think for a lot of us, myself included, um, we aren't as... Um, tuned up on being able to give that that reason as we should be and it's it's opportunities it's crises like this that remind us that we need to be continually thinking and praying about what we're going to say if that person we meet on the way to the store if that person we meet across the street if i talk to my neighbor and because we've been either met with so much rejection of the gospel in the past, we, we just kind of 
out of shape evangelistically, if I could say it that way. So pray for us. Pray that we would have that word, that we would have that opportunity. And not only would we have an opportunity, but that we would then have the right words to give that reason for the hope that we have in, 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 our, in our faith in Christ. And I'm, I know it sounds like, oh, missionaries should always have that reason. Well, we get out of shape. And especially those working in secular environments in Europe, I, I think it's real easy over the years to just think that everybody's resistant to the gospel. People aren't going to listen. And there's that discouragement. And I think God's chipping away at that right now. That's great. Yeah. It also reminds me of uh, Colossians 4, uh, where Paul asked the church to pray for him to have boldness to share the gospel as he should. And and if Paul's asking for prayer for that, man, how much more for the rest of us? Exactly. So thank you for the timely reminder in that. Hey, Steve, thanks for joining us today. We really appreciate all that God's done in you and through you. And, and just pray Lord's blessings on you as you continue to uh, serve him on the field. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Thanks for joining us today. Be sure to check out our website, pioneersineurope.com, to learn more about the vision and mission of Pioneers in Europe and how you can join in what God is doing across Europe.